Sometimes. 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 Sometimes I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what to believe, what to feel, what to do. What do you do when? When you don't know what to do. Is it okay to doubt? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who has doubt? How do I deal with this? How do I overcome doubt? How do I overcome doubt? How do I overcome doubt? Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a great day. And we're beginning a brand new series today called Overcoming Doubt. And I'm excited about this series because I really believe it's important for all of us in our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth. I mean, we live in a world of skepticism, don't we? We always say, well, I doubt it. I doubt that'll happen. I just, you know, we kind of always, if I can't see it or touch it or me make it happen, then we just don't believe it. And yet, how does doubt play into faith? And is there a role of doubt in faith? And what does that look like in our spiritual walk in life? You know, so often we, we struggle with these when the questions come or worries or fears or anxiety. And so this week we're going to talk about, is it okay to doubt? Is that okay? And next week we'll talk about how do we deal with doubt when doubt comes. And then we're going to talk about overcoming doubt and how to be the men and women that God wants us to be and strong in our faith and mature and growing in the Lord. And so I'm really glad you're here. Now here's the good news today. Our God can handle our doubts, okay? Our God is big enough to handle our questions, to handle our worries, to handle our fears, and to handle our doubts. He can. He is sovereign over all creation. He created it all. In fact, He gave us the minds that even think these thoughts. And so today we come back and affirm that our faith is in Him as we go on this journey. You know, it's been said that doubt is the seedbed of faith. Doubt is the seedbed of faith. And it's so true because our our faith grows out of our doubts and our faith becomes reality as we wrestle with the deeper things of God and we come to believe what God says is true and we become who he wants us to be. And so I'm excited you're here today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 20. Now John was an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that means that John was an eyewitness. John was there. He walked with Jesus. And today we're going to see one of the most famous doubters of all time, all right? So this guy, he's known by doubt even in his name. His name's Doubting Thomas. And so we're going to kind of walk with him over the next three weeks and see how his story unfolds. But John records this in John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 19 in just a moment. Now, before we jump into 19, let me set the stage for you, okay? So Jesus, right, fully God, fully man, comes to this world, and at the age of 30 begins his earthly ministry. And he calls these 12 disciples to come follow me. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So these ordinary guys that God uses for an extraordinary way. And so Jesus takes these 12 disciples, and they're wrestling with all these things. They're trying to figure things out, but they're walking with Jesus for three years. They're watching Jesus do miracles. I mean, they're seeing dead people raised alive. I mean, they're seeing people healed. They're seeing 5,000 people fed. I mean, they're, they're seeing all of this, and they're just like, wow. I mean, this is awesome, right? I mean, they're just watching God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, we know historically there was a buzz about Jesus. We know if you, even if you read ancient literature that in the world at this time, there was just something brewing. Everybody knew God was getting ready to do something big. And the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. And if you go back to the Old Testament, right, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And so there was this huge, huge, just kind of like rock star status that Jesus had because people believe he's the Messiah. 
Now the problem was, though, that the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. They wanted somebody to get on the back of a stallion, come riding into Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans and return the Jews to a place of prominence. But what God was doing through Jesus was so much bigger. He was a spiritual Messiah, still is, right? He came to transform all lives, not just the Jews, but us. You know, holy God, sinful man, Jesus, the great high priest, becomes the bridge builder between God and man. And so there were a lot of the Jewish ruling council, they missed this. You know, they wanted to force Jesus' hand. They wanted him to be this political Messiah. And so Passover happens, a big buzz going on. You can imagine a million people plus two million people estimate in Jerusalem. Everybody's waiting and Jesus comes in and Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested and the disciples scatter. I mean, think about the disciples. I mean, here these guys spent three years of their life right, left their business, left everything to follow Jesus, and they're watching as Jesus is arrested. And the fear and the doubt and the worry just consumes them. And then they watch as Jesus is crucified on a cross. John's the only one that's recorded, the only disciple that's there at the cross. All the other ones are gone. I mean, they're, they're hiding they're in fear. I mean, if they crucify Jesus, what about me? You know, well, they think they're going to come get them and crucify them. And they're just like, what's getting ready to happen here? And, and they watch as he dies. And his body's taken down and placed in a tomb. And the fear and the worry. What about my life? What's going to happen to me now? I put all my stock there. And Jesus is dead. But pick up in John chapter 20 because that's not the end of the story, is it? Praise God. John chapter 20, look at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, what is that? Easter Sunday, right? Easter Sunday, that evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They're scared to death. What about us? Are we next? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, exclamation point. Can you imagine these guys? They're all huddled up together. They're praying, God, what happened? Did we miss it? And in walks Jesus. They're like, yeah, you know, and they're just so pumped. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I think that's one of the biggest understatements in all of Scripture right there, okay? I mean, these guys, man, they are just hugging each other. They're jumping up and down. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you, exclamation point. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, so one of the disciples who'd followed Jesus three years, right, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, we don't know where, G- where Thomas was. We don't know if he was just so, so afraid that he's staying with some friends, he's away. We don't know what was going on. But we know, man, he is just having this crisis of belief. He is broken. He is hurting. And he wasn't with them when Jesus appeared, when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they found him and they told him, we have seen the Lord. Man, he's alive. He's alive, Thomas. Thomas, you've got to know this. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. The doubt. The doubt. Can he really be alive? Could he really conquer death? 
I've got to see it with my own eyes. I've got to know. I hear what you say, but I want to know myself. Here's some things I want you to know today if you're taking notes. Number one is this. Doubt is where faith begins. Doubt is where faith begins. Here's the fact. Doubt is not a sin, okay? Doubt is not a sin. Like we said in our last series, temptation's not a sin. Well, oftentimes we look at temptation and we're like, oh, I've kind of had that thought, you know. Uh-oh, you know, I saw her, I saw it, and I, I kind of had that thought. No, 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 temptation's not a sin. Temptation's an opportunity for us to do right. The temptation's an opportunity for us to choose what is right. Temptation's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. The same thing is true with doubt. Doubt's an opportunity for our faith to grow. When those questions come, when those worries come, when those doubts come, when those fears come, it's an opportunity for us to grow. Doubt's not a sin. Also, doubt protects us. Doubt can be a gift from God in a lot of ways, right? A lot of times we look at pain and we think, oh, well, pain, I mean, you know, pain's terrible. I mean, pain can't come from God. But, but think about if you didn't have pain. You'd see a fire, you would just kind of go, oh, that doesn't hurt. You know, you just kind of walk into it. And, and you would be burned to death. You would grab a hot stove. Pain protects you in many ways. The same thing is true with doubt. Doubt protects us from lies. I mean, if we didn't have doubt, we would go, hey, I just read that Elvis is in Minnesota. Man, I'm going to go see him. It's great. He's in Minnesota. You know, we go like, no. Or if we didn't have doubt, maybe all of a sudden we get an email that says, hey, you won $3.5 million. And all you do is send your bank account information in. You're like, okay. You know, hey. You know, no. We would go, no, that's not true. That's not right. You know, God gives us a mind for a reason, for a purpose. That's when you start to see, okay, doubt is a seedbed for faith. Doubt is when I wrestle with some of the deeper things and I have to determine what do I believe, right? Not what the other disciples believe. Thomas had to come to a point saying, what do I believe? Is Jesus alive? Is Jesus real? Is Jesus the one who conquered death? I have to determine that. Here's what St. Augustine said. Doubt is but another element of faith. Paul Tillich said, doubt is not the opposite of faith, it is an element of faith. <laughs> you see, the fact is we're all going to believe in something, right? We're all going to believe in something. So at some point we have to wrestle with what do we believe in? And for everything starts from a position of doubt. Everything starts there. And then you move on and you say, okay, I doubted this would happen, but look what God did. Look what happened here. Uh, for instance, let's just take creation, okay? Let's take creation. Uh, it says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I love this verse, by the way. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So what that says is this, is that God created the world, right, as a testimony to his power, as a testimony to him. That you look at the world and you begin to say, okay, something had to happen for the world to be made. And if you take the scientific method, right, you have a question or you have a doubt, and then you come to a hypothesis, you begin to reason that out with experiments, and then you reach a conclusion. And so all of us have to do that, even with creation, right? All of us are looking here and we're going, well, I didn't create the world. You didn't create the world. So somebody created the world. Something created the world. And everybody has to kind of rationalize that. Now, I believe it takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I just really do. I think it takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I, I mean, really, I don't think science and Christianity are mutually exclusive. In fact, some of the greatest scientists have been Christians, you know, I mean, some of those brilliant thinkers. But there is a big leap of faith from going two rocks collided. Where did the two rocks come from? We don't know. But two rocks collided, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm here. 
All of a sudden, this is here. All of a sudden, there's a world here, and the whole food web and food chain and the sustainability of the world, all that just kind of happened. It just, it hasn't happened, you know, a lot of times since, or it hasn't happened again, and there's not people kind of in the in-between stage, but but somehow, see, you're taking a huge leap from going from this doubt or this question because you're having to draw a conclusion. And for us to say, wait, he is God. And, and if, like the Bible says, right, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his divine nature have been clearly seen. How many of you, when you're outdoors, you just go, wow, I feel close to God. How many of you go camping or you look and you're watching a river, you're watching a mountain, you're just like, whoa, wow. He is God, and I'm not, okay, you know? I mean, he, he is God. And you start, to, you start to look at things, and you're like, wow, I mean, my body, right? I can eat things, and I get nutrients from it. I discard the bad stuff. How does that happen, right? I mean, I've cut my body, and it heals. I, I look at salmon, and, and I watch. There's 20,000 streams in Alaska and 20,000 rivers there, and somehow they're born. They swim out to the ocean. They eat and feed, and somehow... They make it back to within one or two feet where they were born. Out of the 20,000 rivers that are there, they come back and have babies and die in that exact spot. That's lucky. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, those things are smart. I mean, you go, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I've got to figure these things out. And you wrestle with that. Now, there's, we have a finite mind, right? We come to, I've got a finite mind. There is a big God bigger than me. I don't know everything, but he does. And you start to wrestle with this. And that's why you see, you know, some of the most brilliant, you know, thinkers and archaeologists and scientists and, you know, artists and musicians, Galileo, Pascal, Isaac Newton, you know, Origen, Handel, Bonhoeffer, Eliot, Luther, Watts, and so many more who said, man, there is a God, right? There is a God. And you see these believers there. Doubt calls us to pursue faith. Doubt calls us to go on this journey and to pursue faith. Doubt calls us to say, what do I believe? Because we all are going to believe in something. In Mark chapter 9, there was a, a, a dad. And, and this dad had, had a son who was really sick. And like all of us who are a parent, we're going to make sure we want to take care of our kid, you know. And, and if our kid is sick, we're going to do everything we can to make sure our, our, our kid gets better. And so this dad back there just, man, he's heartbroken. And he brings his kid to the disciples. And the disciples can't heal him. And so he takes him to Jesus. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The dad goes up to Jesus and says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So this dad comes up to Jesus and he says this, you know, I'm like, I've been to all the doctors, I've been to everywhere else, you know. So I'm coming to you, last resort. If you can do anything, help us. If you can, ask Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, how many times have we done that? How many times have we come and gone, Okay, God, I know you created the world. I know, I know you're a really big God. But, but if you can, God, would you help me in my marriage? <laughs> if you can, right? And God, if you can, would you, would you handle this financial crisis in my life? And God, if you can, would, would you help me right now in just the pain that I'm feeling? God, if you can. You see, we all wrestle with that, don't we? And Jesus looks at us and says, if I can? Really? And I love this dad's response. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And there's a journey, right, of going from doubt to faith. There's a journey from going to, I don't know, to yes, 
I believe. And in that process, we see God do miraculous things as we trust him. Thomas was on that journey. Thomas was on that journey. Thomas said to the disciples, they were so excited. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. He's going, I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. But look at verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas was with him. Now, I love this because Thomas could have just lived in his doubt, right? He could have said, well, I don't believe it. Forget it. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to do my own thing. But Thomas was seeking. He was pursuing. He was questioning. He was wondering. He wanted to know more. He knew there was something there. I want more. And he shows up at church, right? He shows up a week later. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you guys. Here's the second part that I want you, if you're taking notes. When we doubt, we should come to God. When we doubt, we should come to God. Thomas, even his doubts, right? He came to God. Now, turn with me over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. There's a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a brilliant guy, brilliant intellectual guy back in this day. And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And his name was Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he a Pharisee, a religious leader, he was a part of the Jewish ruling council. I mean, he was a big dog back then. I mean, he, this guy was smart and he was wise. And he came to Jesus at night. Now, why did he come at Jesus at night? Because he had some questions, right? <laughs> he didn't want anybody to know. He's kind of going stealth. I don't want anybody to see me. I'm going to go to Jesus because I've got these questions. And he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. See, back then, I mean, you think about it. I mean, they were watching miracles happen, right? And there are all these even religious leaders are like, we know, we know, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see, notice that word, see. Remember, what did Thomas want? Unless I see the nail marks, unless I see with my own eyes. He says, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And here's Nicodemus. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. What's Nicodemus doing? Nicodemus is still working in the physical world. He's like, uh, that's weird. Okay, I don't understand that. I can't enter into my mom's womb. I, I, I don't get that. Jesus has moved to the spiritual. Jesus is going, eh, listen, Nicodemus, there's a lot of things that happen that you can't see. There's some big things going on, Nicodemus. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Jesus says there is a spiritual world that's there, right? There is God, and there is a spiritual world that exists, and you must be born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit means that I come to a point in my life where I confess, I need God. I need Him. I, and you step over the line as God draws you to Himself. You are born of the Spirit. God places His Holy Spirit within you, born of the water and Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Water, baptism, Right? You're dying to your old way of life. You're being raised to walk in a new life. And so you see this transformation that takes place in what Jesus is talking about. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, think about it. Can you see the wind? No. 
Do you doubt the wind is there? Oh, no. I mean, you feel the effects of the wind? Yeah. I mean, you go out and watch. You can see. And so Jesus is coming back. Nicodemus, can you see God? No. Do you doubt God's there? No. Can you see the effects of God? Yeah. Nicodemus, can you see love? No. Do you doubt love's there? No. It's interesting we say love at first sight, isn't it? You know, He's saying, look, there's a spiritual thing that happens in you where God opens your eyes to truth. God gives you deeper meaning and understanding. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the son who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. Now how was Jesus lifted up? Remember the cross? Lifted up, right? He said, I will draw all men to myself. And so the man, son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See what Jesus is doing? Starting with Nicodemus' doubt, he's moving him to belief. Everyone who believes in him. And then the most famous verse in all the Bible is spoken right here. For God so loved the world, right? Not just the Jews, not just the people who are religious. Not just, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, believes, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life life. Jesus calling us to believe. Jesus calling us to follow. Jesus calling us to trust. And what you see in the scriptures as you watch Nicodemus's journey to a man who comes to Jesus at night, wrestling with these doubts, wrestling with these concerns, wrestling with these fears, and then you see Nicodemus later on when the Jewish ruling council of Sanhedrin says we ought to crucify Jesus and Nicodemus is the one who stands up. No, 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 no. There's something about this man. He's different. You see, when Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus is the one who's there with Joseph of Arimathea to take down his body, and he does it in broad daylight. He moves from doubt, he moves to faith, because God was drawing him to himself. And there is a God who invites us when we have doubts, when we have worries, when we have fears, when we have concerns. Look, just don't bottle those up. Bring those to God. Like Thomas who showed up for church, like Nicodemus who comes to Jesus. We bring them to him, and we bring them in prayer, right? How often do we pray about the things that we're struggling with? Many times we're trying to solve it versus praying about it, you know? Bring it to God in prayer. We bring it in His Word, His Word. His Word is alive and active. God speaks through His Word. Now some people go, well, how do I know the Word is true? And you can go back and do all kinds of research. I love it. I mean, you know, go on a biblical study tour to Israel. We do every couple of years, and it's amazing. And you can go on our archaeological dig, and you can see that there's more manuscripts to support the Bible than any other ancient text. I mean, you can go back and look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, the discovery that was made in 1947, and you, you can look at this cave that was found, and all of these historical documents that go back and they support you found all of the scriptures back you know the 39 books in the old testament every one of those scriptures were found dating back to 200 bc you can do all the research that you want to but at some point what begins to happen is you start to read it 
And when you read it, the Bible comes alive. And the questions that you had, you go, oh, oh. And God starts to pull the scales from your eyes. And you go, oh, that makes sense. I didn't understand that. Why? Because this is living. It's the number one best-selling book of all time. It's the number one best-selling book every year for a reason. Because God transforms us. God speaks through his word and God speaks through community. When we come together, and like Thomas is there with those other disciples, and he's there, and he's in that room, and he's praying, and he's searching, and he's seeking, and look what happens in the rest of verse 26. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Bam! Thomas, glad you're here, because Jesus says, I am here too. And here's the incredible news, right? Jesus meets us in our doubts. Jesus meets us in our doubts. And, and we'll see next week, you know, Jesus, how he responds to Thomas. But notice that he doesn't just kind of jump on Thomas and reprimand Thomas. He just says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And, and this same Jesus who shows up to Thomas, he will reveal himself to you. And when you and I are seeking and searching, see, our God can handle our doubts but he calls us to believe, he calls us to trust, he calls us to follow. And what happens in the process is life transformation. As we meet Jesus, our life is transformed. Here's the thing, right? I can take this chair and I can say, you know what? I doubt this chair can hold me. I mean, I'm a pretty big guy, I've probably put on some pounds lately, you know, and I don't know if, I mean, I don't think this chair can hold me. And so, you know what I can do? I can walk away, right? I, I don't have to deal with that. I can just doubt it. I can walk away. I can go live my life. I can do whatever. Or I can say, you know what? There may be a possibility here. I, I've got a doubt. I've got a question. I've got a concern. I mean, maybe, maybe my God is big enough to handle some things that are going on. But maybe this chair can hold me. And, and maybe I can research it. Let me find out who made this chair. Let me Google it. Let me see how much it says it can hold, how many pounds it can hold. Let me see structurally. Let me try to analyze this, you know. I, I can have friends who've sat in the chair and who are my size or bigger. And they said, you know what, the chair held me. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe, you know. And I can still live there. But something happens when I move past those doubts and those questions. And I say, hmm, maybe it's time for me to believe. Maybe it's time for me to trust. Maybe it can't handle all of my weight. Maybe my God can't hold me. And there's a point where your life begins to be changed. One of my favorite authors is a guy named C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever read much by C.S. Lewis. Incredible, right? Just, his guy was born in 1898 in the UK. He, he was an ardent atheist. Brilliant thinker, brilliant scholar. He goes on to be a professor at Cambridge and at Oxford. Just his mind is so sharp. But he says, as he wrote in his autobiography called Surprised by Joy, he said, God is unscrupulous. You know, so often I would walk by and there would be an open Bible. <laughs> or I would be out in nature and I'm looking going, there's got to be something bigger. And C.S. Lewis says, there was always something that I felt like I was holding at bay, quote unquote. There was just something that was there. All my questions and my doubts, and even though I was an ardent atheist, I didn't believe in God. I, I knew there was something more. Over time, as he spent researching and studying and writing, he came to believe in God. 
He came to believe that there was a God who created things. There was a God of order. There was a God of systems. And he started to believe in God. But, but just like the Bible says, do you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. You know, I mean, it's one thing to believe in God. But for C.S. Lewis and for all of us, there came, a, there came a time, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins? Do I believe that Jesus is enough for me? Do I believe that Jesus can redeem and restore? And C.S. Lewis was struggling with this. He was struggling. And one night he was walking with his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, he was walking with that guy and Hugo Dyson, and they're talking about Christianity and they're talking about faith. They're talking about this move from believing and just believing in God, that there is a God, to believing in Jesus Christ. And after this three-hour discussion, C.S. Lewis said, I was just wrestling with it in my soul and my spirit. And he said, these guys went on and I start to walk by myself. And he said, and then I felt the wind. And as it blew over me, I knew God was real and Jesus, his son. He said, I went home and I got on my knees and I dedicated my life to Christ forever. And when he said that, you know what I thought about? You remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time? What does it say? He breathed on them, the Holy Spirit. And God just breathing on C.S. Lewis and drawing C.S. Lewis to himself. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. Just how I got this idea of just and unjust. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Right? A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God does not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Like, C.S. Lewis is going like, I thought I was bigger than God. I thought I'd figured it all out. It was all about me. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. Right? He's like, it all comes back that there is a big God. He later wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains, in our doubts. It's his megaphone to rouse a dead world. God meets us in our doubts. God meets us in our fears. God meets us in our concerns. God meets us in our worries. Yet God doesn't leave us there. God draws us to himself and God draws us to faith. God says, trust me, follow me. You know, the real story of C.S. Lewis is, is, is not about a dramatic change in his career because he leaves Oxford and Cambridge and he goes on to write Narnia, the screw tape letters, you know, uh, the great divorce, mere Christianity, all of these things that he becomes kind of the greatest advocate for Christianity and for Jesus. He says the real transformation happened in his life when he put his faith and his trust. And he said, God, I'm all yours. I'm putting all my weight, everything I have in you. Because you're big enough to handle it. A lady in our church, she sent me this article this week about a, a kid in Birmingham, Alabama, a kid named Sid. Some of you may have been following his story. Sid, in 2014, was diagnosed with bone cancer. He went to a summer basketball camp and he returned complaining of tightness in his knee. And it was a week before his freshman year at Mountain Brook High School. And his parents took him to the doctor and they checked him out. 
and they heard those news, bone cancer. Only 400 children ages 20 and under hear those words each year. Friends filled their home that night and they prayed. And those prayers have continued on worldwide for the past 14 months. Last Sunday, last Sunday, with nothing medically left to stop Sid's aggressive cancer, he made the decision to go home. His mom said, I was really scared about coming home. But it's been the best thing we ever did. It's been beautiful. There's been so much peace here, she said. So much peace. Several days ago, several hundred gathered at a baseball field at the high school to pray for their friend. Earlier this week, 200 people held hands and surrounded their home to pray while Sid and his mom watched in awe through the window. That morning, she said, that morning I had prayed for an army of angels to surround our house and then to look outside and to see that, it was amazing. The Mountain Brook schools have been lenient with Sid's friends this week, excusing them from school so they could spend time with Sid. They've hung out in his room and prayed with him and for him. And in return, he prayed for them. And this is Sid's prayer for his friends. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given me and all these wonderful friends who've been there with me through the fight. And let them all live prosperous lives once I'm gone. And let everybody stay on the path of righteousness and not get away from you, Lord. Amen. It's not been like a funeral. It's been like a party, as mom said, of the constant activity at their house. Sid's not sad. He's not scared. He said he would see us again. He's become great friends with Les Miles, the coach of LSU. And Les Miles told Sid, life is not how long you live, but how you well you live it. And then he told the team, when you get to heaven, save me a spot. <laughs> yesterday morning, just yesterday, 7.24 a.m., Sid went home to be with Jesus. And his mom posted on Facebook, we're so proud of our son for never getting bitter, for living life, for trusting Jesus. His dad said, you know what, we've been blessed. Dozens and dozens have come back to spiritual belief because of Sid. Not everybody gets to see that. It's a pretty special thing. You know, church, the fact is this. We don't know how long we have on this earth. We may get 16 years. We may get 30 years. We may get 50 or 75 or 100. We don't know. But the fact is we brought nothing into this world and we're not going to take anything out except our faith. So what do you believe? What do you believe? Just like Thomas, not, not what do your friends believe, not what your parents believe, not what your church What do you believe? Do you believe that God is big enough for you? Do you believe that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you? Do you believe that God can handle your problems and your challenges, your difficulties? Is your God big enough? Because there is a God who is drawing you to himself. There is a God who loves you more than you could dream or even imagine. And there's a God's inviting you to step over that line, to step, to trust, to believe. Where are you today? And maybe today is a day of salvation. Maybe today is a day where you just go, there is a God and I'm not, and I need him. And today I'm putting my faith and my trust. I'm putting all my weight in him. Maybe for you today, you've been hedging your bet a little bit, right? You've been saying, you know, God, if you can, Right, I'll trust you for salvation, but God, if you can work in my marriage, or God, if you can work in my family, or, or God, if you can work in my career, or God, if you can work in my finances, and, and you've kind of been just hedging it a little bit, and today God's saying, come on, come on, come on, trust me, trust me, all in, all in, let me be enough. So today, would you just say, here I am, Jesus, all yours, I believe, I believe. I want to ask you to bow your head and 
close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you today? Maybe right where you sit is it's an opportunity for you just to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I know I didn't create this world. I, I can't solve my problems. I can't do it. I can't heal myself. God, I need you. God, I need you. And maybe for you today, there's been something that you've been holding back. Maybe it's a worry. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a concern. And you haven't brought it to God. And today, God's standing there. And the Bible says, you will seek him and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. So, Father, here we are, your people today. And God, we can identify with Thomas in so many ways, God. And yet today, I pray that you would open our eyes. And then we could see that you are standing right here, right now. That Jesus, you have come to meet us. In the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our brokenness, Jesus, you are here. And you are all we need. And so, Father, today we want to affirm that our faith is in you. We're all going to believe in something. And today, God, we want to put a stake in the ground and say we want to believe in Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for being here for us. Thank you for loving us, redeeming us, restoring us. And opening our eyes to truth. We love you. And we dedicate our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.